0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the summer of 2013, Brad Stevens becomes the Celtics head coach, and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett become former Celtics. We're gonna talk about it on this Friday. Locked on Celtics podcast. Millions. Let's go.
1: Rain and Jay's back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. Woo. This is the truth like 34. Yeah. It's like walking in the garden when you hear the roars
0: Hey there, John Corrales here from MassLive.com. I'm their Boston Celtics beat reporter, and I hope you do read my stuff at MassLive.com slash Celtics. There's been a lot more on that page in the past couple of days because the Boston Celtics are back. They are back. Mandatory workouts. Yesterday, I played you clips from Brad Stevens and from Kemba Walker. Today, Ennis Cantor and Daniel Tice. Coming up in segments two and three, the discussion about the summer of 2013. We're continuing our historical deep dive. We're now up to the summer of 2013. Only a few more years left up until today. So hopefully this historical podcast slides right into the current stuff and we get into current play. So in segment two, we start with Brad Stevens being hired. And our reactions at the time, we'll get more into Brad Stevens throughout the next few years. But at the time, our reactions, and then the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett trade. So that's the lineup. Let's start with the Thursday occurrences, which was a media availability from Daniel Tice and from NS Cancer. Let's let's start with Daniel Tice, who uh, the thing I'm going to focus on is... His reaction to the notion that uh, Damian Lillard kind of expressed this—that guys are going to go down there, they're they're going to break the rules—basically Dame said, "Look, man, they're going to break the rules. That's just going to happen. We got to deal with it. Expect it." Daniel Tice had a little bit of a different take.
1: I speak before our team, I know that our teams, um, our players, going to follow the rules. So I just hope that. Everybody in this bubble, from players over staff, and just everybody, just follows the rules and just um, yes. thinks, thinks about. It. It's not just about himself. It's about like that he can get more people sick, and he can like potentially get the NBA season like canceled again if we, if somebody gonna bring it in there, and like I don't know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty people get um, tested positive, it might be canceled again. So. So we gotta trust. We gotta um, trust each other, like the whole NBA. All players, just everybody's just um, staying in there and following the rules as much as much as possible. And if I think it's somebody um, got really problems with following those rules, it might be better he's he's staying home. So if he really got thinking about like from the first day
0: he's gonna break the rules, I think it's not worth it and coming down there anyway. I love it. I love that take. I love that reaction. If you're not there, if you're not going to play by the rules, if you're not there to play basketball, if you're not going to respect what's, what's happening here, then just stay home. Don't bother coming. Don't come down to Florida and screw this up for everybody by breaking the rules, getting people sick, causing an outbreak. Like that's the most selfish thing that you can do in an event that's already selfish. You're doing this so you can get paid your money. If the NBA has to shut it down halfway through, are, is everybody going to get paid? I don't know. I don't think so. But this is this is perfect. I I feel like this is the take of a man who's making five million dollars non-guaranteed like his his next contract next year five million dollars non-guaranteed compared to Damian Lillard who's rich like done he's his he's set for life and the players who have been speaking out for the most part are the guys who've made a ton of money a guy like Daniel Tice a couple of kids young kids He's not making a ton of money. Like, he, I'm not going to cry for the guy. I mean, he's made $5 million this year. He's going to make $5 million next year when the Celtics almost certainly guarantee his contract. And that's not nothing. Even after you take away almost half of it for taxes and agents and stuff like that, he's still got a few million dollars kicking around. There's nothing. He's going to be okay, but that's not generational wealth. That's not. $40 million a year wealth and the attitude that comes along with being a star player with being an elite player, the elite players are like, yeah, you know, whatever we're going to do what we're going to do. And that's not to say that Damian Lillard is going to go break the rules, but I think his attitude is just like, it's, it's, he sees it from a different perspective. Daniel Tice is down there to play basketball. Daniel Tice wants to get all of his money because that means something he's trying to provide for his family and he's trying to set his kids up for life. You know, like if you're a parent and you've got, I I don't know how, how young his kids are. I want to say they're like probably his daughter, I think is like three, four, something like that. Very young. And they, they have like a newborn, a very young baby. So he's got young kids. So he's, he's got his money and they're living. Okay. They're living fine. They're doing fine. But, He's got his kids to worry about, and he wants to make sure that they're set, that they don't have to worry about things through through their life. There's no guarantee that they're going to be making a ton of money. We, there's no guarantee that they're going to be athletes. Who knows what they're going to be? So Daniel Tice's priorities are different than a lot of these other priorities that that may be even on his team, these, these superstar players who are making a ton of money. It's just different. So the tone of Daniel Tice I really think is – a little bit more serious. He's just, he wants to play. He wants this to go well. He thinks the Celtics have a chance. He wants to get all of his money. And he knows that he's only getting 5 million next year, non-guaranteed. So if some weird quirk, if something goes wrong, if somebody goes and screws up and something goes wrong and the salary, salary cap drops by a, a bunch, the Celtics in cost cutting measures, if, say, Gordon Hayward opts in, if the Celtics are desperate to cut money, then Daniel Tice's 5000000 million non-guaranteed could be on the way out. And then then what? Then who? Where? Who's going to sign him? Where's he going to go? Does he have to go back to Germany? Well, what's going to happen? So a lot of uncertainty for Daniel Tice. He wants to go and play. He wants this thing to go off without a hitch. He wants the salary cap to be where it was supposed to be or close to it. He wants to come back and make his money and earn another contract. And hopefully make a little bit more than $5 million. So he's taking this very, very seriously. So I think it's super interesting to hear the tone and the perspective of a guy in that situation. That's not Chris Paul. That's not um, Andre Iguodala who's, who's made plenty of money over the course of his life. Like that he's, he's representing a different tier of NBA player. And I, I'm, I'm with him. I'm totally with Daniel Tice. If an NBA player is going to go down to Florida and is thinking, you know what? Screw those rules. Uh, those rules don't apply to me. Don't don't bother going. Don't even bother going because you're going to screw it all up. I wrote it on Mass Live, MassLive.com/slash/Celtics. Find it. Scroll down a little bit. The NBA has this opportunity to show the world. If we have everybody full participation playing by the rules, we have an opportunity to show you how you can operate during a pandemic. They have this opportunity. So uh, 100% on board with Daniel Tice. Ennis Cantor spoke, and obviously, one of the things Ennis Cantor is big on is the social justice. He's got the international uh, politics that he he deals with, with the Turkey situation. So he was asked about Jalen Brown's uh, political stance and his activism. And he had this to say about Jalen Brown.
1: I think what Jalen was doing was just like pure le- le- uh, leadership. I mean, I learned a lot from him. And I am I think we are all lucky to have him in our uh, side, you know. And I think, you know, because, I mean, all that stuff I'm going through, I'm always like before the games, after the, the practices, or in a trainer room, we always had this kind of uh, conversation. How can we... You know, use our platform to change or just bring lights into what's really uh, matters. So I think with his leadership, I think when when he's done with basketball, when he's done with his career, people not just going—he's not just going to be known as a just basketball player. I think what he's doing off the court is way bigger than on the court, and I'm very proud of him. I know what it's like to fight for justice and uh, freedom. So you know, I I told him that you got all my support. If you need anything, please let me know. I can. You know, try to do everything for you. So, but, but, but I think he's before he's a, he's a good basketball uh, player. He's a good leader, and I think he's definitely he, he was one of the biggest voice in this. Uh, uh, you know, the last uh, past month uh, was what's going on.
0: Cantor is basically echoing what Brad Stevens said uh, earlier a few weeks ago, where he said uh, Jalen Brown ultimately is not going to be remembered just as a basketball player. He's going to be re- remembered for more, and I think it's important at this time to acknowledge players who are are like that. And it's funny to go back and think about the the knock on Jalen. One of the knocks on Jalen when he was coming out of college was that he might have been too smart for the NBA, which is such a coded uh criticism. It's it it's just a player is not just a A character on the screen. A player is not just a fictional being. Not some cartoon character who's out there just to entertain us through basketball. That's his job. But that's not who he is necessarily. Um, Some people want to identify just as a basketball player. And that's fine too. But I really do applaud Jalen... At every turn, speaking up and and representing his beliefs the way he has I think the as as time goes by, we've seen more and more of it from Jalen and it's become more and more impressive and I think it's you know it, it's part of who he is, part of what he wants to be, part of the inspiration he wants to put forth for people who were like him as a kid and maybe give these young kids an example that maybe he didn't have not to this level you know what I mean so just shout out to Jalen for for standing with this and and continuing his activism and standing for what he believes in for being on the right side of history on this. That is what happened on Thursday. There is a little bit more, but you can read more about that at masslive.com slash Celtics. When we return, we continue our historical deep dives. We're in the summer of 2013. Brad Stevens gets hired. Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett get traded. That's coming up next on the
2: Locked On Celtics podcast.
3: Let the Locked On NBA Network of podcasts
0: take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best
3: trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. You are locked on Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the locked on podcast network.
0: So Doc Rivers on June 3rd goes to the Clippers on July 3rd. Brad Stevens is the new head coach of the Boston Celtics, July 3rd, 2013. I remember specifically, I was in New York at the time I was working at NBC and I'm just sitting there. Like, doing nothing. Like, I'd finished my work for the news and all of a sudden somebody, they knew, they knew I was a Celtics guy. And so somebody looks at me and goes, Brad Stevens, huh? I'm like, yeah, what about him? Like, (laughs) (laughs) they're like, the Celtics just hired Brad Stevens. It's like, they what? And like, I, I, I barely knew anything about him. You know, you knew the Butler runs and like he was, he was the young, like, up-and-comer in college. So you just thought, like, he would do what most of these college college coaches do. You you get yourself into a position at a place like Butler. You make your two Final Four runs. Then a place like, you know, maybe Indiana or maybe North Carolina or maybe one of the, the big power schools opens up, and you ditch the kids that you recruited. You go to one of those big schools, and then you become celebrated. Like that seemed to be the path that he would go down, but apparently that that was that was not going to happen. And there's a famous story of I think uh, Danny Ainge and like Steve Pagliuca at a at at the Final Four, and it's it's like it's Duke versus Butler, and Pag says Danny Ainge looks at look come, turns to me and says the best college, the best coach in college basketball is on the floor. He's like, yeah, it's Krzyzewski. he goes, Nope, it's Brad Stevens. And he had like that. He knew Brad Stevens was going to, w- was, was a bright mind back then. Um, so, but yeah, and that moment, it was shocking, but, um, I, I think it's, it's worked out pretty well, I'd say. Yeah,
3: I agree with that. And that's what I was saying before that, um, Brad was the better-suited coach to lead uh, a rebuild and a younger team. And no question about that. And uh, Doc, it actually took him a little while longer than it took the Celtics to get back on their feet. Um, I think the Celtics made it. Yeah, they did make it to uh, conference finals, and the Clippers haven't. So Doc got what he wanted, but uh, it wasn't all gravy for him there either. <laughs>
0: it's the Schadenfreude is just so huge around here. Like George is like and, and hey, I'm sure I've participated in this online as well where the Celtics do something uh you know uh ahead of the Clippers and you're like, "Ah, Doc, how you feeling? How's it how's it looking over there?" Uh <laughs> but <laughs> but you know now he's sitting there and this is exactly what what Doc wanted like this is now he's got Kawhi now he's got Paul George whatever the hell happens this season who knows but um the uh this is this is the type of situation that that he wanted so look it worked out well for Doc it worked out well for Boston as far as i'm concerned like it's great it worked out well for everybody um except for RJ Hunter but <laughs> That's I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh And in that first season, like that Brad Stevens, first season, how many players did the Celtics go through Danny Ainge's uh, transactions page after hiring Brad Stevens as the coach? I mean, trades, 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 tra- these guys, that roster was so ridiculously long. Like, I can't even count how many guys they hit. Do you remember Vander Blue? <laughs> no. Oh,
3: yeah. I I'm, can't tell you much about him, but I remember his name.
0: Um, so, but before all that, before all of that, nine days after Brad Stevens gets hired, the Celtics pull off the trade. It's Paul Pierce... Uh well okay well, let, let's there are there are trades before that to set up this deal um right no I'm thinking about something else never mind so it's so KG Pierce Jason Terry uh couple of picks for Keith Bogans which is awesome Marshawn Brooks Chris Humphreys Chris Joseph Gerald Wallace. And picks, which the 2014 first round pick, 2016 first round pick, 2017 first round pick, 2018 first round pick. The 2017 was a pick swap. So they got the number one overall pick, um, in that, in that draft. So first of all, that trade produced the best photo of the the Danny Ainge picture with Bogans and Brooks and Chris Humphreys. I'll is, never forget it. I'll never an forget an it. All timer. It's an all timer because I remember looking at that picture. I remember that introductory press conference. Like, why are we even doing this? This is, this is, this is so insane. Like, what are we- Everybody would look like they wanted to be somewhere else. No like one. they could. They couldn't fake it. Nobody could fake it. This was just. I mean, I think Chris Humphreys managed to smile, uh, but that was about it. So that 2014 first-round pick, that's when the Nets were still good. That became James Young. The 2016 first-round pick became Jalen Brown. The 2017 first-round pick was Markel Fultz, blah, 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 trade flip to get Jason Tatum. The 2017 first-round pick, I mean, 2018 first-round pick went to Cleveland in the... Kyrie Irving deal that became Colin Sexton. So the Celtics net haul from all of this, this trade was Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I guess, I guess Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum are the two guys that come out of this deal. Um, and Kyrie Irving for, for a short time. But I mean,
4: at the time, I thought it was a good deal for both sides. I mean, I, I, it was one of those, for me, it was, it hurt but you understood like it when you looked at what the haul was first round picks you thought i think and you know as Celtics fans we had kind of lived through or you know older Celtics fans we had lived through sort of you know the original big 3 and that those those early 90 seasons and we knew what it felt like to see you know team stars kind of sputter out so um we understood i i I don't remember what the pulse was for all of self expense, but I think we accepted it as a kind of a necessary sort of evil um it just it just had to be the the whole was 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 substantial um and and that's it and I thought you know i and I think what what maybe made it better was wow, you know. Pearson, you know, the Celtics are going to be, you know, crappy for a while. But, hey, we can root for Pearson KG. They're going to Brooklyn. Brooklyn was somewhat likable. They had some good young pieces. It would have been – it's fun to see, you know, you want them to do well and still beat LeBron, right? So that that's how I looked at it. I thought it was a good deal for both sides. I could possibly root for Brooklyn. And then, you know, while the Celtics are are tanking and and kind of accumulating their assets and draft picks, I don't remember being heartbroken or pissed off.
3: Uh, I was, um, I wouldn't call it heartbroken, but I was sad that Paul Pierce wasn't going to finish his career as a Celtic because that was the one thing I wanted out of that. I understood the reason for the trade and I, I liked what came back, but I just felt like we missed out a chance to really have Pierce finish out as a career Celtic. But in a way, he did get all the love anyway, because he came back. He made the three-pointer with the Clippers on his last appearance. He got his number retired. It all worked out in the end for him, and, and he was successful even when he wasn't in Boston.
0: Follow us on our social channels at lo Celtics on Twitter and at Celtics on Instagram.
3: During that season when Garnett and Pierce played for Brooklyn, I went to a game down in Brooklyn. Celtics played against them. And, you know, the Brooklyn fans really thought they'd put one over on the Celtics. The, during that game, Pierce and Garnett did something. They made a play. Uh... Fans got all charged up, and there was a timeout. And during the timeout, the fans started chanting, Thank you, Boston. Thank you, Boston. (laughs) Well, yeah, in the short term. But uh, how did it go for them after that? I mean, neither of those guys was even there the next season. And I can only imagine what it was like to be a Nets fan later. Every year, the draft would roll around. They didn't have a pick. And they'd see the Celtics come away with some kind of a haul, and know that it was the, their own team that gave that away, and that's why they're bitter now. They they really don't like us, <laughs> Nets fans. You know, you get that feeling on uh, Twitter that they always have something bad to say about Boston.
0: Well, well, that's they should be mad at Billy King for. Yeah, I- like
3: it doesn't have to make sense. That's just the way it is. <laughs> um,
0: that that Nets team was was they try they tried to kind of recreate a little bit of what Boston had, but I, I remember the, the the takeaway after that was like Darren Williams. I remember once upon a time, Darren Williams was like it was it Chris Paul or Darren Williams is the best point guard in the NBA. And yeah, he, he was like he was an elite point guard for a while. Uh, especially right around the time that he went from Utah to Brooklyn, but they, he had no, he didn't have that fight, that thing that, and, and I think that pissed off Kevin Garnett. Like Kevin Garnett did not like that, uh, that mix. He didn't like Darren Williams, I don't think. Uh, I seem to recall that there was some sort of issue with them that he just, he just didn't have that, that same drive.
4: And so well, Pierce had those comments, right? The, I'm just looking at the story when Pierce spoke out saying that he thought Williams was an MVP candidate, but I felt once we got there, that's not what he wanted to be. He just didn't want that. Yeah. So, you know, if that bothered Pierce, you know, it was killing Garnett. Sure. Right. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that, that's pretty damning for those two guys to come out and say, or, you know, one them to say it right on.
0: Um, so the story of this trade is that Danny Ainge had a trade in place and he went to Wick and said, here's the trade that I have. And Wick said, try to get another pick. And Ainge was like, there's not, they're not going to give us another pick. And, and basically he said, squeeze them. And he went and the reason why the Celtics were able to get this haul and and I remember at the time. At the time, I was doing my little stint on Celtic Stuff Live. I had a little like year or so where Celtic Stuff Live was in a little funk, and you know, I was the uh, the shemp of the crew. I came in. <laughs> That's a joke for all the old folks. Uh, I came, I came in and had a, a brief stint there. I remember talking to uh, John Duke about this, and I was like, "There was a scenario. I was all the things that you said." you guys both said like it sucks that Paul Pierce isn't here. Um, it's it really wanted him to finish his career in Boston. Um, I really wanted KG to stick around. I wish it could have gone differently, but you look at all of the picks that they got. I was like, well, you know, okay. So they're good now, but that 2016 pick in a couple years, you don't know, you don't know how they're going to be because if, Pierce and Garnett don't work out. They're old. There's a possibility that in two years, they they could not be great. And then if they're not great, it's going to take them a while to be great. So those picks could work out. And, And honestly, it, it really worked out like best case scenario for the Celtics with those picks as good as you could ask, like without being overly greedy to get the third overall pick, a number one overall pick and another pick that you ended up, able to trade that's that's just an amazing haul but back to my original point billy king was given the mandate by mikhail prokhorov who had just bought the nets recently and was in a pissing match with the new york knicks and he came in as this really arrogant you know russian like super rich connected russian like aristocrat, like he, he thought things worked a certain way. And he was basically coming in saying, spend what you got to spend. I'm buying a championship right now. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to buy a championship. He put the signs up right across from MSG that the Brooklyn nets are, are here. They've arrived. All of that hubris, all of that, that attitude is why, not only did he get those hall, the hall for all those picks, but that, but they were all unprotected. Like that's insanity <laughs> that they were all unprotected. How does that even happen? Like not even like top six, like the Memphis pick that we've got, you know, this year. How do you not protect those? The, the, the Celtics, the timing worked out well. We're, this is almost like, Mike, how many times have we talked about throughout the course of this entire deep dive? luck being on the Celtics side and then yeah. it went away for a while. And then all of a sudden here's the luck kind of coming back that KG and Pierce, like that diet, that part of the the Celtics era ended right at the right time that this arrogant Russian rich dude comes in and tries to, you know, have a, you know, whip it out and having measuring contests with the Knicks and try to win a championship <laughs> on their turf. The, the Brooklyn Nets had just come into town. If this was the New Jersey Nets, this I don't think this trade would have happened. Because, but because they had just come to Brooklyn, because they wanted to make this big splash, it was give up whatever. The future does not matter. We are winning a championship this year. This is our run, and obviously they didn't.
3: They've still come closer than the Knicks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> always comes back to
3: the Knicks. It always does. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, I will say though, it was probably after draft night in 2016, after Jalen was picked. You know, I, I confessed I was, you know, Jalen just still didn't make sense to me at the time. You know, an athletic non-shooter. Um, when you, because, because of bite, you know, we already had James Young and he, so we had like a year or yeah. two and he just, you knew. just, I don't know. We I already we had James him. Young, so we didn't need Jalen Brown. No, 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 but I just mean like, <laughs> no, I mean the promise, like, I well, don't course, think James Young no, showed I, us anything. Young didn't show us anything that we that we thought, we have a gem here. I mean, he was, what, like the 14th pick or something, so anyway, but so there's Young and we're like, and then it's Jalen Brown and we're like, uh. So at that moment, you're like, We're burning through all of our draft picks. We're not, (laughs) at least I was. And I think there were other irrational Celtic fans who were thinking the same thing. It was like, Oh man, we're blowing this great hall. You know, we gave Jalen Brown all of one minute before we (laughs) (laughs) just bust. But, um, so there was that moment where you're like, Oh man, this might not be the hall we thought. And now, you know, here we are four years later and we're just, you know, we got our feet up and we're just, you know, just <laughs> we're laughing, you know, we're laughing at the Nets. And we will forever um, after this, you know, this duo brings us these three championships. But, yeah, for me anyway, I was a little, you know, I was like, oof, I don't know. So, I mean, maybe that's yeah. just the cynic well, in me. Well, but. When we get to
0: 2016 and the drafting of Jalen Brown, we can talk about why and, and the – the trades that we thought the Celtics were going to make, like that, so much of that immediate reaction was because Celtics fans were looking for trades and the Jimmy Butler. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but we'll talk about that when it happens. Right now we're in 2013 and the Celtics have all of these unprotected picks and all of this promise. And, but it comes at the cost of Pierce and Garnett. And there's that famous picture that that SI uh cover uh was it I forget it was like who who wants to face these guys or yeah something like that um it sucked it sucked Brooklyn was kind of like this benign like it's you could easily even they were even though they were in the same division you're like yeah all right like that's cool I can root for Brooklyn I can root for Brooklyn it's like they mean nothing there's so there's even now they still mean nothing other than you know now Kyrie is there, but like Brooklyn is like a a cool team to root for. I, I like Brooklyn. I like, I like the borough Brooklyn. I like the Barclays center. So if it wasn't for Kyrie there, like that, they'd be a nice benign team to root for. But that would have been, that would have been nice if that had worked out for them. I mean, obviously it did not, but,
3: um, oh, well, it would have been nice that one season What after, season. after Pearson Garnett left there, then. I didn't care about that anymore. Right.
0: So, and they, they end up getting bounced in the first round of that series uh, of, of that season,
3: right? Like that's uh no, actually with them, with, with Pierce and Garnett. Oh no, that's it. They, that was they beat Pierce, Toronto.
0: That they beat Toronto. So they lost in the second yeah. round.
3: They yeah. Lost,
0: they lost the Miami. Yeah. In the second round. So Pierce and Garnett are gone. Now we move on to, That 13-14 season, but not before a a discussion about Paul Pierce and his Hall of Fame credentials. Uh, It's an extended conversation about Paul Pierce at this time when he leaves Boston and his perception and generally his perception nowadays. So that's coming up on the Monday podcast along with whatever has transpired over the weekend. And then we continue our historical deep dives moving forward with the 13-14 season and beyond. So subscribe if you have not subscribed. If you are a subscriber, a good written review, a five-star rating would be awesome because it really, really helps. Just check the rankings again today. Still the number one Boston Celtics podcast around. Thanks to your ratings and reviews in the top 30 at this point of all basketball podcasts thanks to your ratings and reviews. So please keep doing that because that really helps when it comes to advertisers and it helps me get paid for the effort that I'm putting in. You don't have to pay the money, but the advertisers will. So please rate and review. Thanks for listening. Back on Monday with another full week of podcasts here on the Locked On Celtics Podcast.